Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. My name is Tony, and today is episode 132 of the podcast, where I sit down with author, speaker, and pastor Andy Andrews. Andy has a brand new resource out called Friendship It's Complicated, and I can't tell you how excited I was to jump into this topic because I know so many adults, men and women, who struggle with friendship and what does that mean and what's it look like and what's it look like in the lens of our faith. I know you're going to love this conversation with her. And if you do love the conversation, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts at. I love to use Overcast, but I know a lot of people use iTunes. Wherever you listen, hit subscribe. That way you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you haven't done so, go check out spiritandtruth.life. We are a ministry of spirit and truth. We are 100% listener supported, which means that when you give to spirit and truth, you're giving to the podcast. You're giving to ministries. You're giving to uh, things that will help breathe new life into the local church. So do me a favor, check them out, spiritandtruth.life. And if you want to consider being a monthly giver, it would mean the absolute world to me. I'm thankful for each and every one of you. I'm thankful to be on this mission with you. And uh, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Andy Andrews. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have a pastor, author, and speaker, Pastor Andy Andrew from New York City. Pastor, thank you so much for being here today. Seriously, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be with you. (laughs) So I don't normally start with a history question first, but I am curious how does um, uh, a girl from Spokane, Washington, go to Sydney, Australia, meet her husband, and then end up in New York City? <laughs> that is a wild ride, is it not? Yeah. <laughs> I was actually just <laughs> back in Spokane, and I was like, I grew up here? Like, it had been 18 years, and I couldn't believe <laughs> You know what I mean? It's been so long since I've been there. I, it was like, wild. I can't believe this used to be my life. But yeah, I, I mean, met and married my husband in Sydney, went there for Bible college and married him a year later and then had three kids under the age of three, like in quick succession. Um, and after that, (laughs) yeah, it was, it was very fast. But then after, um, actually after I had my first child, Zeke, our youngest, or sorry, our eldest, um, I actually had a dream that we were in New York city and I could see the back of three children And literally this was when we only had one child and we were on the subway on a way home on the way home from a church we had planted. So I woke up the next morning and I said, I actually feel like we might plant a church in New York one day. And he's like, that's weird. I said, I know. So if it's God, I guess we'll find out. Um, Or I had too much pizza last night. It was one of the two. So (laughs) long story short, fast forward, three kids under the age of three and God starts to bring up New York city. And it is obviously a lot longer story than that, but there was, we went and we, we came here and we were like, God, is this where you want us? And there's a beautiful story about how he spoke to us, went back, talked to our pastors in Sydney, asked for their blessing and permission to go. They sent us and we started with literally our family. That was it. There was no one. And we're like, we are wild. Like this is, we took our life savings. We sold everything. We invested it into New York city. And, um, 11 years later, we're still here hobbling a little bit, but we're still here. (laughs) Yeah. And one more kid, we had an American born child as well. So, you know, (laughs) I I love it. I love it. And I, I, I always love to ask people, how do you discern 
um, what really is God's voice on big steps like that in your life? Like, how, how do you know that it was God that called you there? And again, not not the pizza per se. No, I actually love that question because I think it's really important. I think for us, there was multiple factors in it. So obviously you you have a dream like that, or even if someone, it, it tells us in the word of God to test a prophetic word that you don't, because it, it could be wrong like, and it could have been too much mm-hmm. pizza. And so we do have to test those things. So there was like multiple tests that went with that. Obviously what's illuminated in the word of God, um, what is speaking to us? What do we see when it comes to planting churches? What's the model for that? Um, is it, do we stay in one place for our whole lives or, and you know, all of those sorts of things. So we looked at all of those things. We definitely went and, and came to New York city and tested out to see if this, if God spoke to us here, I was really hoping he would say, no, no, I'm just kidding. At that time I was, and now I love living here. So I'm great. But, um, I was freaked out. I was like, how do we do this? And, and God really spoke to both of us. I mean, for me, it was outside of St. Paul's chapel where, um, they, they took care of all of the volunteers for nine 11. And there was this whole thing that God's God, like just whispered to me. He said, these people are now your people. And I just knew I was, we were being Mm. written into the soil of New York city. And my husband, um, just really heard from God too. Then the other test, I mean, we had multiple fleeces, if you will. Um, and then we went and we spoke to our senior pastor and I went, he could say, no way you guys are crazy. And we both kind of went in going, if he says you guys are wrong, like this is not God. And I know not everybody agrees with this, but we kind of knew if he releases us, it's really God. Does that make sense? And so sure. we, we put that fleece out, if you will. And he goes, well, there's the door. You have my blessing. You can go. We're like, wait, what? And so then we freaked out. But there was this one moment. I would love to tell you this one story because this is really helpful too. Um, before we met with our senior pastor, both Paul and I were praying, reading the word of God. So for me, I went to the book of Acts because I was like, how do you even plant a church? Like, I, I need to know, I need to go and see the birth of the church and how it began and what the people did. And as I'm writing, I, I felt as I was praying, um, as I was journaling the Lord say, um, your church will be called Liberty because you'll bring freedom to the captives. Mm. And then the Holy Spirit said, but don't tell your husband yet. I said, okay, three days later, my husband says, I think I know the name of our church. And I'm like, oh, and so he, he literally takes a moment and he goes, I, I honestly, I, he goes, it could be dumb. I don't know. Maybe it's a bad name. I was like, just tell me what it is. He goes, I think it's called Liberty church. I was like, I'm going to throw up now. So I, I, yeah, I went and got my journal and I opened it up and showed him and he was like, oh, I think we both just knew there was too many things that were pointing to this, this direction, that if we ignored it, it would have been disobedience, or we would have wondered for the rest of our lives, like, what if? And so we even said to our senior pastor, if we go and utterly fail, we'll just come back. We'll like humbly come back to Australia. (laughs) And we just, that's kind (laughs) of how we navigated it. So. So I'm I'm curious, what have you learned about yourself in the process of planning a church that's now have has a global impact? You have communities all over the world and in, in London and in various places. Mm-hmm. W- what have you learned about uh, the local church, the global church, and your yourself in the process? That's a that's a really big that's unfair really, question. I'm that's sorry. A massive question. <laughs> what have I learned? Well, I have learned many things. Uh, gosh. I have learned, um, I'm trying to, cause you did, you asked a big question. I like saw multiple facets. Um, can you edit this? 
Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'm absolutely. so sorry that I'm like, I'm taking a minute because I think that's a really valuable question. Okay. Well, please do. It was as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, "Well, Tony, that's that's far too big for any one person to answer on the spot." Well, but. no, it actually took me once. It, it, that's a good question. So I'll I'll pause for a second so you can edit with a clean cut for a second. I think uh, one of the biggest things that I have learned uh, about myself is that I I needed to. Sorry, let me start that over. One of the biggest things I learned about myself in leading when we planted here is how much I didn't know who I was. And that was a little bit of a, mm. a scary um, a scary place to be in. And I think planting a church brought me to my knees in the best way. And, um, and either what was going to happen is I was going to break down or I was going to become whole. And I was going to run to Jesus mm. and just get stronger and stronger. And so I think for me and my husband, it actually drew us closer together instead of dividing us because we knew that planting a church together in this city um, and I would say in the time that we planted it, but I would say the whole last 11 years that we've been here have been some of the most difficult um, uh, in different ways for the city and for the nation, uh, if you will, that leading here has literally brought us to our knees. So I think church planting, if we tried to do this in our own strength, I think it would have broken us. Um, and we really just needed to focus on our mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical health. And I also think for me, I've got four beautiful children that are now 16, gosh, how old are they? 16, 14, 13, and nine. And, um, I think we have realized how important it is to disciple our children, um, the family unit. We're really, truly, it feels like missionaries in the city because uh, we don't have lines out the door coming to church. We have beautiful communities here in the city and outside of the city, the, outside of the city. Um, but really making disciples, the Great Commission, is really our heart and doing that in a slow and steady way. We, we weren't a church that had like explosive growth or anything like that. We have kind of remained in these beautiful, steady communities where there's been a lot of turnover. Um, and one more thing I'll, I'll add um, is that I didn't know how high my pain threshold was until I planted a church. And so <laughs> I would say, I was like, wow. And also people really just love to tell you what they think about a lot of things when you plant a church. I was like, wow, thank you for all your opinions. I, I was not ready for this. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. A lot of things. Uh, I, I deeply appreciate. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, I, I'm always curious about people's daily disciplines. One of the things that we say around here a lot is that if you're not dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. That's and so, so good. Um, it's true. I'm, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm curious, what are some of the things that you do on a daily basis that keep you, um, as you said, whole? Yeah. Those things would be, I get up before my children. Um, so I have to set the alarm and we're back in the, you know, back to school routine. That was nice in the summertime because they, my children can sleep forever. So like <laughs> in oh, that season, gift. it really is. I'm like, they, they just sleep and sleep. And so I would have like these long extended, like quiet times with the Lord before they'd awaken. <laughs> but um, for me now, it looks like more, I, I love to uh, wake up, turn on worship music upstairs, grab my cup of coffee, try to set an atmosphere for when my kids walk up and start, you know, making their breakfast and, and get time in the word, whether that is um, five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes. And a lot of times I'll focus on at the moment I've been um, in the letters to the church 
from the Apostle Paul. And that actually has been life for me over the last two years, uh, pastoring through a pandemic and shutdowns and opinions. I've had to read how the Apostle Paul maneuvered a lot of people really coming for him. And so <laughs> how do you do this in the in these cities, you know what I mean, that are really difficult, but keep people's foundation in Christ? And so I think for me, that's really where I start. And then obviously there are mornings where, you know what, my kids get up early, they have more needs, it doesn't work as well. And so what I tried to do is whether that's like this morning, I took my dog on a walk and I told my friend who's just literally lost her mother, I said, I'm going to pray over you while I walk. Hmm. And so just trying to find those rhythms of um, where do, I mean, God is in every moment, but you know, like acknowledging his presence is really important. And so I think those are the things that have really truly kept me grounded is I know it's so simple, um, but really truly reading the word every single day, creating an atmosphere in my house. And then my husband and I actually put it in our schedule to pray together once a week and we get up early and that we kind of were like, how have we not been doing this our whole marriage? We've almost been married 20 years, but only over the last two years where we were literally brought to our knees, um, have we been praying together? And that um, has been really powerful too. Yeah, that's uh, w one of the things whenever I'm doing premarital counseling, I make all my couples pray over each other uh, as, a, as a daily discipline before they go to bed. Hey, go ahead and just... I, I need my wife to pray evil out of me every day. <laughs> Listen, I think I might start. I'm going to take that marriage advice and tell my husband when he gets home from his trip, this is what we're doing now. No, I'm just kidding. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, it, it, it came out of it came out of a lot of brokenness. We we really needed some healing and restoration, and it was just a really good practice. It's just it's really hard to stay angry at somebody you have to pray over every night. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm noted. I'm remembering that. Uh, so I, I'm also curious, you've got this, this brand new resource out and it's all about relationships. It's mm -hmm. about friendships specifically. Yeah. Um, and, and I was thinking as I was kind of reading and kind of learning about uh, your writing and your heart, uh, how long did it take to put this together? And did you know it was going to come out in what could arguably described as the most disconnected time in human history? I had no idea it was going to come out in the most disconnect, disconnected time in history and honestly probably make people super uncomfortable to read. Um, but for me, this book in particular, I mean, I'm really passionate about relationships and healthy relationships. And they re it really stems from a broken childhood and uh, broken relationships with my parents that are now redeemed and restored uh, because of a lot of intentionality. Mm. And so that's helped me obviously in my parenting and in my own marriage. Um, but in gosh, about 2018. So before these last two years of, you know, isolation and self-protection and, and self-preservation that we're all kind of trying to combat in our lives right now. Um, I really had a few breakdowns in female relationships in particular. So I have a friend that has been literally my closest friend for 20 plus years. We known each other longer than I've known my husband. And there was a few different relationships. Now pastoring is a whole different thing. So when you pastor or you speak right. or you have people are like, we're going to be best friends. And they like come and try to hang out or not try to hang out with you. You let them, that sounded really horrendous, <laughs> bring them into your world. And, um, for me, I tend to go vulnerable too fast. And I started to notice what happened was, is I was letting people into my world and then the relationship would break down. 
the kicker for me was when my 20 plus year relationship with my best friend, like started to break apart. And I went, wow, I am Mm. the common denominator in every relationship that's falling apart around me, female relationship at that time. And I said, God, what healing do I need here? And what is interesting is he started to bring me back to my relationship with my mother. So I know a lot of times we talk about, you know, the father wound or the father issues that we have. But for me, it was the woman wound. And that's literally the first chapter in the book. So if you're not in the mood to like go super deep right away and get healed before you can cultivate good relationships, <laughs> don't buy this book. Um, but I realized that there were some codependencies from my childhood um, in the brokenness that my mom and I had. And she readily lets me speak and write about this because our relationship is restored. And, um, from a time, from the time I was little, my mom would just, I was her emotional mother and she would tell me things that no child should ever know Mm. about her marriage, about her brokenness, about things she was walking through. And I carried them for her. Fast forward to being a pastor. Guess what I did for every woman or friend that came into my world. I just go, I just went on ahead and grabbed their brokenness and carried it for them. And then when I wasn't enough or wasn't good enough, the relationship would break down. And I was like, I was left there standing going, what did I do again? And so I realized I needed to have a lot healthier boundaries um, so that, and that's not just about me. That's about them too going, you know, we say this in prayer ministry with people, your, their issues, when you're forgiving someone, you have to say their issues are not my issues. They're not for me to fix and they're not for Mm. me to carry. And we have to remember that in relationships, even in marriage with our children, it's like, whoo, we got to teach people to carry their own things to Christ. And I think that's what I was not very good at in specifically female relationships, but obviously it manifests in other areas of my life. So really that was kind of the progression 2018 coming up to now. And the book um, really started about a year ago. I started to write it about a year ago in the middle of the pandemic, still working through, honestly, relationships that were Mm. burning to the ground. But it was also a lot of, I, I don't know if you noticed this, I'm sure you did, but I think my heart broke when I went, oh my gosh, over these last two years, we've really seen uh, what our lives are built on. It's like the parable of um, the house that's built upon the sand and the house that's built upon the rock. When the storms have come, I have just seen like, wow, I don't know if their life or where is my life not built on the foundation of Christ. And so started to just see those things. And it took me about six months to write and then six more months until it was out and where we sit today. So, yeah. It's interesting. One of the things um, that you talk about in the book is this idea of vulnerability in friendships. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious about what's the tension between being vulnerable Mm -hmm. and being uh, boundaried? Yeah, no, I think that's really important. One of my friends, Irene Rollins, says, be authentic with many, but only vulnerable with a few. And I think what we realize is even with Jesus, he's the perfect example of how to do relationship. Um, And I I think one of my favorite chapters in the book is actually where I break down how Jesus does relationship in the chapter about circles. No, everyone cannot and should not be our best friend. But Jesus had the three, he had the 12, and he had the 72 and the multitudes. And as I started to really look at um, how Jesus really only had three people that he brought close to him in the vulnerable spaces of his life, where he would let his guard down, where he... um, you know, sweat blood in the garden of Gethsemane, even though his friends 
slept and prayed, didn't they sleep praying? They did sleep praying. Um, but he still brought them close into the most vulnerable moment of his life. He brought them close where he really needed people to have enough faith to raise a little girl from the dead. He kicked the rest of the disciples out and he brought his three in with him to raise Jairus's daughter from the dead. When he was um, on the temple mount and it was revealed that he was the son of God and Moses and Elijah showed up, he only brought the three with him. So these very intimate spaces, Jesus only had three people with him. There was a vulnerability that he showed with those. Obviously his greatest vulnerability was when he would go and be with the father and Holy Spirit. But all that to say, you realize that then there was the 12 that he was on mission with and the 72 that he sent out. And I think it's a beautiful model for us as a people to understand we don't have to overdo it in the relationship friendship category. And vulnerability is not for everyone. We need to leave something sacred between us, God, and maybe a small circle of friends or your spouse or whatever that is. But I think that these are the things we have to be aware of. So be authentic with many, but vulnerable with a few, because that's even what Jesus did. Yeah, it seems like one of the major themes of this writing is this idea about self-awareness and authenticity. Um, if, if someone is just starting out on this journey of of self-awareness, like, at, you know, w- what's the first step in, in realizing that maybe I'm a little bit more of a train wreck than I thought or, or, or <laughs> yeah. like, hey, I'm a little more open than I should be or, you know, whatever it is, right? I, I'm, I tend to be a little bit over the dramatic about these sort of things, but yeah. What's the first step? No, I think that's really good. I think honestly, we actually have to give ourselves time for self-reflection. So if you don't have a time, even if it's just once a week, you don't, or, or, or once a month, if you're like, I'm too busy for that, start with, start with a certain amount of time where you can sit literally in the presence of God and go search my heart. Oh God, I use Psalm 139, like 5 million times in this book, mainly because it rocked my world when I first got saved. And it still is the most tender, beautiful, um, intimate picture of how deeply God knows us. But the very end, when we understand how deeply he knows us, he's the one we go to, to say, search my heart. Oh God, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any way offensive in me and then lead me in the way of everlasting. If we're not in a place where we are not examining our heart before God, we will project on other people. We will expect other people to meet our needs, our unspoken um, expectations, our unmet needs. We'll look to somebody else to do something literally only Jesus can. And I think um, one of the things, the reason why I talk about self-awareness and why it's important, imagine I didn't go back to move forward with my relationship with my mom. I just would have kept being a train wreck in every female relationship that I walked into, creating the same issues, walking through the same cycles. So instead, what I did is we have to go back to move forward, not go back to camp there, not go back to you know set up a tent in the valley of the shadow of death, but to bring Jesus into those places of our past where we're wounded and maybe believed a lie and then created a false belief system, we actually have to go to that place to go, God, I believed a lie when I was wounded by my mother or that woman or that or my father or this person, not to blame them, but to grow up and get healed and ask Jesus, what is the truth about this situation so that I can create a true belief system and walk in that now? So I think for me, becoming self-aware means that we have to, maybe you're not one of those self-aware people. If people keep saying the same thing to you over and over and over again, maybe (laughs) listen (laughs) and go, huh, I think I might have an issue there. So I think, yeah, (laughs) I don't know. 
But I think there's a reason why we have to do that because we need to bring our whole selves to the table to be able to create any authentic connection, to be able to fill, fulfill the great commission together. We have to be able to be confident in who we are created to be so we can run together um, in unity, but in our differences too. One one of the interesting things when I think about friendships today, and I have a I have a teenager, a fifteen year old young man who I'm we're trying to disciple, and then and then even I just look at my own life, and one one of the unique things is the impact of social media on our on our friendships, mm-hmm. right? As you were doing your research into this, like, um, you know, I, I'm I'm self, you know diagnose FOMO. Like I hate to miss out on a party. I hate to miss out on things. Like I always want to be there and be present. How do we navigate, um, the impact of a a life that was probably not meant to be seen by the world that's now being seen by the world in, um, in today's relationships? Yeah. I think it's actually become really difficult. I think about when, when we first moved here, almost 11 years ago, Instagram was just becoming a thing. And I'm kind of like, wow, imagine if we didn't have that to compare ourselves amongst ourselves as the body of Christ even. So that's just at a, you know, um, a macro scale, but at a micro scale with us as individuals. So for you, it's FOMO. Um, for me, I, I think sometimes it's FOMO. Other times I'm like, why aren't they commenting on my thing? I have this moment where I talk about how Um, I once downloaded that unfollow me who unfollowed me app. Oh my gosh. Have you ever done that stupidest Mm. idea ever? I I have, there was a season. (laughs) I was like, why did I do this to myself? But that created an unhealthy environment in my own mind. Cause I literally got on it and I was like, uh, like offended right away. I was like, how could they unfollow me? Why did they unfollow me? I still see them on a daily basis. Like it was weird. And then I started to like create like what I was going to say to them when I saw them. But think about that. That is really genuinely creating an unhealthy environment in our hearts and minds. So we just have to be strategic with that. So what's so interesting is my 15 year old and my 14 year old, both sons, um, my 15 year old has decided to take all social media apps off of his phone. And my second son Mm. doesn't even have any. He's like an old man. He's like, why would I want those things? (laughs) So I just am like watching my children and learning from them. Um, And I think we honestly just have to have boundaries with our phones. And we really are bad at it. Like, so I I do believe, though, it has created a culture that can be, that can breed drama. Because I talk about breaking up with drama in one of the chapters in here. And I do think that if we're not careful, instead of using just social media as a means, like it's just fun or a means to an end if it's for your business, but be careful. Like just, you got to protect your heart and your mind. Like it's wild out there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That that might be a a great uh, segue into the, I wanted to ask you about betrayal. Um, And you talk a little bit about betrayal in the book. And, (laughs) and, and, and so it, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I, you know, you talk about betrayal as one of those things that we have to get, we have to understand and navigate it like Christ, knowing that it's definitely going to happen again. Um, kind of give us an overview on, on how, how do we, how do we deal with such a painful yeah. Um, feeling? Yeah. Well, all of us face betrayal. And I think one of the things I had to come to grips with is that 
I haven't faced my last betrayal. And that was really difficult for me to really like swallow is that if I'm going to continue to put myself out there and be in relationships, there's going to be more betrayal. There's going to be more pain. There's going to be relationships that end and friendships that don't work out. So for me, I remember when I started to write this chapter, um, we had just walked through something very painful. And as much as I wanted to write a list of all the people that had betrayed me and help people in this chapter to write a list of all the people that had hurt them and like burn it in the fire, like you're at summer camp and like, forgive them. Like that's not where God started. He's, he started to unpack for me, King David and Judas, which was very interesting. Mm. So King David, who was known as the man after God's own heart, and Judas, who was invited to the table with Christ, who truly at the end of his life could have repented and been forgiven and welcomed back home. Like there, you know what I mean? So I think the thing is, is he said, he was just starting to unpack for me, Andy, the things that David did were some of the greatest betrayals. I mean, it was murder of one of his close friends because he slept with his friend's wife and had a baby. Like this is bad betrayal. And then you look at Judas who turned Jesus over to be crucified, the worst betrayal. And even Jesus felt that and knew it. And so he said, what response will you have when I call your heart to the carpet? Not the person who betrayed you, because Mm. guess what, Andy, you've probably in someone else's mind, whether you believe you have or not, you've been a betrayer as well. And so what I do is I start with your own heart. And I was like, even if this makes y'all mad, Like we actually can't, this cannot be a finger pointing, let's cancel a whole bunch of people chapter. It's about navigating it like Christ, letting people genuinely go, forgiving them. And then if you need to set up like space between you and them to be wise, go ahead and do that. But you have to look at your own heart first. Um, And so that's kind of where that chapter started is like navigating betrayal is like navigating a ferocious storm. Even if you're a sailor, the storm is new. You've never sailed this storm before. And so we just have to get good at knowing that we've got to keep our heart tender no matter what. (laughs) Now, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask is about the role of um, men in women's friendships, Mm -hmm. right? And so my wife and I will celebrate 19 years of marriage, high school sweethearts. Uh, She's my everything. Yeah. And I love her to death. And (laughs) I hear her, she's got different circles of friends with different closeness. And, you know, she, she's got friends that she's been friends with since like first grade. And oftentimes she processes different circles of friends with me. And I, as her husband, uh, I don't really know what to do with all of that because it just feels so much more complicated than my friendships do. Mm -hmm. Um, and and so I, I'm curious if you could talk to the guys for a second. Mm-hmm. How how can we best serve our wives in the the complicated friendships with, with the appearance of complicated? Maybe it's not complicated. I don't know, but like, Sometimes how can is. we best serve them? <laughs> no, I love that. I, <laughs> I really appreciate that. I think my husband has been my greatest ally in getting in un, in uncomplicating my friendships. He has really helped me. But I think for. I'll speak to the men and women, women. Sometimes it's good to let your husband who looks at things in a less complicated way, 
let him give you advice. Don't just like, cause I know we joke about how women are like, I just wanted to like verbally process with you. I don't want your like advice on anything. Like communicate your expectations clearly to your husband first. Cause for me, I'm like, Hey, I want to process something with you so you can help me and give me wisdom. Cause I feel like I'm not seeing this clearly or say to your husband, Hey, I just want to process with you. I don't want you to talk to me. I don't want you to give me any advice. Like I'll come, I'll come back later if I need it. But I would say to the husbands, um, ask your wife also, if she's, if she doesn't know what to do, or if she's not being clear with her expectations of you in that moment, ask her, Hey, do you need me to just listen right now? Or would you like me to listen and see if there's anything that I can give you to help uncomplicate that situation you find yourself in? Um, because I think there had been moments for me where, um, Ooh, I actually feel emotional where I felt like I just needed to like lay down and like I was wrong. Like there was one situation where um, a friend just kept putting me in the corner and everything was my fault. And I just kept taking it going, you're right. I'm not doing anything right. And my husband went, that's not like, this is not true. You need to stop. This is unhealthy mm. and this is not a safe friendship for you. And when he said that to me, I just sobbed and went, why am I, why do I allow myself to go into this place? And I want to say to husbands that are listening and, and even guy friends too, you watch another, one of your friends out there, you're like, you need to t remind them of their value and their worth and go, you do not need to enter into that mm. complication. And it is okay for you to speak your expectations. It is okay for you to set a boundary. It is okay for you to let them carry their own issues. You don't need to carry them for them. So I just, I would say to the women, let your husband be your ally in your relationships. Bring him in, ask him for advice and husbands. Ask if you can be like an ally and can I come into this space with you? And you know what? Friendships for guys really aren't as complicated. I've watched my husband where you know, there's been a friend that he's had for years that the friendship grows apart and it has been painful for him, but it doesn't last as long as the pain lasts for me. He's like, he processes it. <laughs> and then he's like done. I'm like, can you like pray for me for that? <laughs> but I really, I really appreciate it. And it has been life and so helpful for me. So I don't know if that helps, if that was, that was helpful. Yeah, no, I, I, th I think that's, that's spot on. I, we heard from a, um, a mentor of mine a long time ago that you should create a code word around expectations when it comes to conversation. So whenever one of us gets into a place where we just need to like verbally dump, we're both verbal processors. Mm -hmm. We we love to say, well, I just need you to sit in the mud puddle with me. Wow. Um, and, yep. and that image of, mm -hmm. yeah, that image of just, hey, I just sit in this mud puddle with me or, or hey, can I ask your thoughts on this versus, you know, I, I think... Well, I think clear expectations makes it a lot easier to serve each other well. It really uh, does. Least. Isn't that wild? So my husband is the verbal processor and I'm the internal processor. So he has to like, even for me, he has to go, is now a good time? Like I need to talk. Cause I'm like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife and I are both verbal processors. So wow. sometimes we have to decide who's going to go first. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, you, you go first, you go first. And we, we, well, we call each other on the phone probably four times a day Oh, I uh, love because that, she works though. in an office with, well, so she works in an office, she works in an office pretty much by herself. <laughs> and so she's like, and 
Now I got some, I got words that need to be said. <laughs> I need a person. I need a person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And I always want to be her person. So that's good. It's good. Yeah, it is good. Uh, one of the things that um, you're passionate about is being uh, a, a spiritual midwife. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like that's uh, a really interesting term. I'm wondering if you might define it for us and talk about what that looks like in, in everyday practice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you don't mind, I'm just going to crack open my book um, because I think that – do you mind if I actually read something really quickly? From yeah, please do. Okay? Yeah, please do. So, yeah, this is yeah. – and before I read it, I, let me just preface that um, the, if you look at the progression of the book, it starts with the woman wound. You start with dealing with your own heart issues, and it ends on birthing mm. the dreams of others. It ends on being someone who is basically a disciple maker (laughs) and someone who sees other people and is confident enough and who they are that they release other people into their calling too. So I just said this, the origin of the word midwife is mid, which means together with plus wife, women. Um, To become a spiritual midwife means that we are together with women, not against them. We are for women. They are not our competition. We are alongside other women to bring forth life, not death. And I said, friends, it is not our role on this earth to tear down, cancel, destroy, or slander another woman or set her life on fire. (laughs) So I think Mm. for for me, what it truly is to birth another person's dreams, to birth life is to come alongside another. It's true discipleship. It's true. um, It's that one-on-one. It's where you get to a place in your life where it's not all about you anymore. And I think for us Mm. to do that is a true place of we are surrendered. Our lives are laid down. We love who we are created to be in Christ. And we see another sister or friend that has something within them. And I think a lot of times some of the best mentors that I've ever had were mentors that never had a mentor. And I know that sounds crazy. But I think about um, a woman named Maria Durso. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but um, she, she's got a ridiculously amazing story. But her mother died when she was born and her father um, abandoned her. And so she grew up with no one and got saved radically, um, you know, in the hippie movement and never had a spiritual mother. Went through the 80s and the 90s with no women that wanted to invest into her. And that woman texts me almost well, I was going to say almost daily, but it truly is like, she's like, the Lord spoke to me about you. I have a word. Like she's sending me scripture. She's sending me prayer. She's sending, she's deep in Queens. She's got the most amazing New York accent. Um, and so she <laughs> sent me these things, but the truth is, is she has this saying where she's like, as long as there is somebody to love, you are never out of a job. And to get that mm. from a woman who was abandoned and had no love, they've truly met Jesus and realized that their life is not just about them. So becoming a spiritual midwife is honestly, it's, it's the goal in life. Plus I love midwives and um, call the midwife is my favorite TV show. And if I wasn't leading and pastoring, I'd totally be a midwife. So I'm all about it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's that. There's that. There's that. I love that. I love that. So I know that my listeners, they love to pray Um, as they um, listen to this interview and they begin to think about this writing and resource, uh, what prayer should accompany um, kind of what your hope is that God will do with this writing? What prayer in, sorry, 
let me be specific what prayer in what way yeah (laughs) yeah and just as this book uh, begins to flourish out in the world as people pick it up what's the prayer that goes with the reader you know how can we be praying for what this book is yes 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 gosh well my prayer for the reader um is that we will truly be healed and walk in wholeness uh body mind and spirit Mm -hmm. And that we would become and make disciples that make disciples, that we would birth life and uh, that we would truly create godly community wherever we are. And that it's up to us. Like, we got to stop waiting for somebody else to do the work. We've got to stop waiting for somebody else to um, invite us in. Some of you that are listening, you need to be the person that invites somebody else in, even if it's never been done for you before, because you just never know what's going to happen. So that's my prayer. My prayer for the people, my prayer for the book. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Uh, I have one more question uh, left, but before I do that, I want to ask, I know that my listeners are going to want to follow you all over the interwebs. (laughs) What's the best place? I know you've got a TV show, a podcast. Uh, Where can we hook up with all the the ministry that you're doing all over the world? Well, all things um, that are that are happening in my life are on andyandrew.com. And you do spell my name, Andy, A-N-D-I, no Y, and Andrew, no S on the end, mm. A-N-D-R-E-W.com. Um, and then all my social handles are just at Andy Andrew, my name as well. So that's, that's easy enough. But um, also, yeah, the podcast is just called Coffee with Andy, and so is the TV show. So uh, it's kind of one and the same. They all weave together. So that's where you would find me. On it's the beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Last question I love to ask people is an advice question, and you have to give yourself one piece of advice. Except I get to name the exact day that you give the advice. So what I want to do is I want to take you back to your first day in New York City. You just finished your first day. You've moved here. You're now a New Yorker. Uh, I think this would be somewhere in 2010. Um, What's the one piece of advice that you're giving to your younger version of yourself as you begin this journey? Okay. I don't know why that is making me cry. (laughs) Um, If I could look myself in the eyes 11 years ago, I would say you can't please everybody. Just be obedient to Jesus. Mm. Because, man, I wasted a lot of days, months, maybe even up to a year or years of just trying to please the people, the Moses moments, you know, where Jethro comes in, I would have told myself, be wise, be a wise young woman, (laughs) be obedient to Jesus (laughs) and don't always listen to what everybody's saying. So yeah, that's what I would say to myself. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Uh, Pastor Andy, thank you so much for your time today, your generosity, your, your big old heart. It was such a, a blessing to chat with you about this. Thank you, Tony. It's so great to meet you and get to know you as well. You and I want to meet your cool wife who I want to watch you verbally process. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot. (laughs) I told you guys what a great conversation. I love the way that she talks about authentic and genuine connection, about reconciliation, about how to look at friendships through a biblical, practical insight. Uh, do me a favor, follow Andy on the socials. Let her know that you heard her here on the podcast. Give her a follow on Instagram. Her ministry in New York is so cool. I love following her and her husband, who uh, I'm also trying to get on the podcast. 
So uh, let them know that you appreciated her time today. And don't forget, visit spiritandtruth.life. Sign up for our newsletter there. Our weekend review comes out every Friday. We love to help you guys stay connected with all of the things happening. And one of the things you'll notice is the Spirit and Truth Conference. That's right, the third week in March, the 17th to the 19th, the Spirit and Truth Conference here, Dayton, Ohio. I'll be there. Um, Matt Reynolds will be there. Uh, Maggie Ulmer, Rob Ulmer, Marion Hayes, so many incredible speakers. Kevin Watson, a lot, a lot of voices that will help you reclaim those practices of faith and life. As always, I appreciate you subscribing, leaving a rating or review on iTunes. I saw some new ones up recently. So thankful for that. And remember, guys, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move. <laughs>